Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. What's up, everybody? Happy evening time to you, or I guess it could be morning time if you're listening to this in the morning. I'm Joey Powell. You are listening to InsideCarolina.com's bevy of podcasts. This one here is called the Coast to Coast. It's called the Coast to Coast because the two men that join me right now are on each side of the country, and they are here to bring you the knowledge that you seek, the wisdom that you crave, and the info that you are longing for. As always, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. Gentlemen, how you doing? Doing well, Joey. How are you? I'm good, man. Rel, what's good with you? The usual uh, regular season's over. Happened quick. I'm surprised they got 25 games in, but excited to see what the postseason looks like. Yeah, shout out to to the team for you know. I don't think they had any COVID issues that were directly resulting to UNC, were they? Other than the Miami one, which you can I, take, you can spend that however you want. But yeah, so just, I think that Miami was the only one that was right. their kind of their fault. Air quotations. Yeah. So shout out to everybody around the program, much like football, who really just. Um, handled this to the best of their ability, it seems, from the outside, uh, knowing that they were dealing with just so many moving parts and just such an unprecedented, which, by the way, what a great year for the word unprecedented. Like, I wish I'd have bought stock in the word unprecedented because it's, <laughs> man, Zoom and Netflix and probably weed and alcohol, like back in last March, and then the word unprecedented. If you could have bought stock in all of those, man, you'd be rolling right now. All right, I digress. Uh, getting to tonight's episode, uh, we're glad you guys are joining us. If you're listening on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, take a second, subscribe, rate, and review us. We would really appreciate it. I will pause, allow you to press pause and review. All right. We appreciate that. You know, give us that rating. That review really helps us as far as how these podcast platforms um, rank and then how they also you know, kick out ads and how we show up in searches. So thanks for doing that. We appreciate you being here. If you're watching on YouTube, then you will recognize that Sherell is double jump man tonight. Uh, Sean is in his, as usual, secret service, uh, very <laughs> understated attire, but we appreciate you guys being here, regardless of what platform you're consuming this content. And one last thing before we get rolling, I want to give a shout out to Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com, your home for all things Tar Heels, any gear that you want for any sport that you want for any part of your home or wardrobe, Johnny T-shirt is it. Inside Carolina, premium subscribers get the extra 10 off the top. So make sure you take advantage of Johnny T-shirt. You can either stop by the store on Franklin Street or hit them up online. They've got quick shipping, amazing selection, uh, unbelievable prices. The three of us are all huge proponents of Johnny T-shirt and what they bring to the local commerce community. And we hope that you will be as well. JohnnyTshirt.com. Hit them up. Locally owned, alumni operated. Fellas, 
before we talk about this current iteration and their twilight of these Tar Heels, let's talk about uh, let's talk about one little nuance that you guys mentioned before we started recording tonight about a Tar Heel commit, or I guess he's a signee now. I'll, I'll get my my nomenclature right. Demarco Dunn, and with all of the what have you and suspicion and uh, supposition about who's going to be back and who's going to be on the Tar Heel roster next year. Sherelle, you've got a little bit of a nugget about how DeMarco Dunn is training right now and, and what position he may play when he arrives in Chapel Hill. Yeah, so last week we talked to him and trying to um, get up with both of the signees, him and Dontre Styles. Um, now that their season's are over, they're kind of preparing for UNC. There's no more games. There's no all-star games or anything. So next stop for them is Carolina in June. And in talking to him, uh, he mentioned that he's been doing a lot of work on and off the ball. And I said, oh, okay. It kind of piqued my interest a little bit. I was like, oh, on and off the ball. Um, so, you know, what are they saying? He was like, well, they're saying, you know, I can come in and, you know, I can find my spot and, you know, it could be at one or two or three. Now, granted, you hear that a lot in recruiting uh, players, maybe might mishear things or things might be said in a certain way. Um, but oftentimes like, you know, we kind of know what positions are going to be slotted as. And so Dunn, we've been kind of told that he was a, a two and, you know, could even be a three in some three guard lineups. However, with Dunn saying that, it made me go back to what Roy Williams said. And it kind of, you know, what he said back in November when, you know, the signees are, are announced, he said, I'm going to read. This is the segment we call reading. DeMarco is a perimeter player who could be a one, two or three. We don't know yet. He can really shoot the basketball and has a tremendous work ethic. He's going to pass a lot of people by who have better quote unquote ratings because of his work ethic. Um, so there it is. Roy Williams saying that he could play the one, the two or the three. And then four months later, DeMarco Dunn saying he's training to play on and off the ball. So in thinking about, like you said, how the roster might look next year, I, I don't know this for sure. This is not inside information, but it's like maybe Dunn is a contingency plan for them to play some one and to play some two or play some combo. So maybe that goes into their thinking as they attack the offseason. So I wanted to ask Sean what he thought about Dunn's potential as a, uh, you know, even a part-time one at, at Carolina. Well, I think, I mean, I think it's definitely good that he is, he is training um, for that. Once again, I think expanding your skill set, uh, especially going into, you know, into your freshman year will, will hopefully pay off in the long run. I would say if I had to, if I was a betting man or had to put any money down, I would bet that we would not be seeing DeMarco Dunn running too much of the point guard position, at least next year. Um, I think, you know, right now he does have a very good offhand. So his left-hand dribble, I think is, is very good for, for a guard, but I don't think you're going to see him pushing the ball up the court and making decisions on the, on the fast break. You know, right now his, his main skill is shooting the ball and he has, he has length on defense uh, for the wing spot. And I think that's where we'll see him next year. But at the same time, if Caleb Love is to go, you know, you know, if Caleb Love isn't in the picture next year, um, if there's no transfer coming in, it's pretty much RJ Davis at the point guard, uh, maybe a little bit with, with Anna Harris and, you know, how comfortable are you with that uh, for the full season? So perhaps you are able to see him as a secondary ball handler at times, but I still think we'll primarily be seeing him at the wing next year. But once again, you know, I think he's working on, on some of the areas that that could be improvement points. So that's, that's good to hear in the long run. And the staff has shown their willingness to put Leaky Black back there for a, a bandage if necessary. So throw him into the mix as well. Um, that's good insight, guys, and I appreciate it. And want to caveat, too, with our listeners. I mean, 
we still have no idea who's going to be on this roster. And Sherelle, you shared something on the radio show on Inside Carolina Live with yours truly and Tommy Ashley on Saturday morning that I think is is really paramount for our listeners and viewers to understand. And that's this year is unprecedented ding with how many folks are going to be involved with coming or going. And there's a lot of things at play there. Uh, the one-time transfer exemption rule, the super senior rule, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then also, you know, knowing that uh, a, a lot of these guys just did not get the normal UNC experience this past year, and that may weigh into things. So do you want to, do you want to throw anything else out there, Sherelle, for, for the listening audience? I mean, again, we don't know anything. We're just trying to make sure folks understand that this is a, a large muddled picture that will not come into, uh, into any real clarity for quite some time. Yeah, it's just the perfect situation for a roster churn, not just at North Carolina, but really every school. Mm-hmm. As Joey mentioned, there's the one-time transfer exemption, which is expected to be passed, which basically says that players can transfer to a school without having to sit out a year like they typically have for forever. Um, so there's that. Um, then there's the super senior rule in that everybody, you know, this basically is a free year. So, for example, uh, R.J. Davis, he's a freshman this year. Technically, he will be a freshman again next year, even though it will be his second year. So nobody loses a year of eligibility at all this year. So there's that. Um, and the, the funny part about that is, is that the NCAA hasn't given guidance or is unlikely to provide any financing for said scholarships. So there will be schools who have guys who maybe want to come back, um, but they can only have 13. Or, I'm sorry. They can only really pay for 13 scholarships kind of out of out of their budget. They don't have it for 15 or 16. So those that's going to cause either freshmen or likely seniors to be displaced. Um, and then you have guys who committed during the pandemic without visiting a school or signed with a school without visiting. And I'm sure they're going to have second thoughts about, you know, is this really where I want to go? Especially if school X that I really liked now has a scholarship open. And then you're going to have guys who want to transfer home or uh, <clears throat> guys who just maybe it's more important to be near their family. So you add all of that stuff up and you're going to see an off season, you know, really unlike one that's ever happened in college basketball with the availability of players, the super seniors, the transfers, um, just a lot of roster churn. And I don't think it'd be naive to think that North Carolina won't be impacted in some way um, by that. So I, I think it's just up in the air and it's going to take some time, you know, to, to figure it out. Usually within a week or two, you kind of know who's likely to go, who's likely to stay. I think that could take some time into the spring this year. And I'm glad you mentioned that too, with the transfer market, it works both ways. If the Tar Heels have some guys leave this program that maybe fans weren't expecting, or even the staff weren't expecting, there will be an opportunity to go shopping for lack of a better term in that pool of potential uh, additions. So guys that may be coming from other programs or are looking to move home and, I'm sure those conversations are already happening in some places, but it won't be the end of the Tar Heel basketball program, but it will be a, a, an off season and kind of the silly season. Like, like nobody's really expected before. Sean, you got anything you want to add into that or any insight or uh, do you have any sage wisdom about fans, about how fans can, can exercise some patience? <laughs> I mean, I think, I think it is going to be, it's going to be crazy. Um, I think more just in college basketball in general, because once again, a lot of, you know, especially if you look at freshmen, you know, and I'm just speaking generally, but if you don't have the year that you wanted, you know, normally you have that one, you know, sitting out one year hanging over your head, but now, you know, what's to prevent one of the other schools that was recruiting you. Now they have a point guard position, you know, just trying to get you in, you know, immediately. So, 
I think uh, I think it's going to be very interesting. I think in general, there are some schools that are more quote unquote proactive in this field than than others. Um, I think North Carolina has been proactive when they need to be. It hasn't been a, a field that they've really needed to dive into besides uh, when, when going for Keeling and, and Pierce two years ago. But I think right now how the roster is, they're going to be, they're going to have to be somewhat reactive based on how the current roster gets situated because they have so many players ret- potentially returning. Uh, but at the same time, I think they're going to have to be, you know, while they're going to start reactive, they need to be able to flip that switch extremely quickly. If they lose one or two guys, they need to kind of have that pool of, of players available. Um, and I think, you know, normally it's, Hey, let's just look at the seniors that maybe have redshirted uh, that could do the grad transfer thing, et cetera. So your pool is a lot smaller. Now it's going to be, you know, there's, there's no real minimum in terms of, of who you're looking at, which makes it harder. So, you know, I, I think they're going to have to probably do some legwork up front and then be able to react quickly as things transpire. Yeah, I appreciate that insight. And it's important to remember the one-time transfer exemption has not passed, but for everything that we've heard here on this podcast and from what you guys have heard from your sources, you know, I have no sources. You guys are my sources. But from what you guys have heard from your sources, uh, it is expected to pass. And that will, again, that will feed the discussion that we just had. Let me take a quick minute, um, give a shout out to Johnny T-Shirt. Thank them for sponsoring us for this full season. We've got a couple of weeks left, depending on how the Tar Heels play, but big thanks to them. I uh, appreciate all you guys shopping there. Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Hit them up. Take a quick break and let the national guys come in here and run a couple of ads uh, for stuff that I'm sure you need in your life. So take a minute, listen. We'll be right back to talk about the current season of Tar Heels. Hang on just a sec. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. All right, we appreciate you hanging around. Now that we've gotten some of the uh, future for the Tar Heel program discussed, why don't we talk about the now, most specifically the very ultra-recent past. And this past week did not start well for the Tar Heels. As we mentioned on this, uh, this very podcast last week, who knows what to expect from them. They went to Syracuse after a quick turnaround. And looked like hot garbage. Uh, offense was sluggish. Really could not do anything against uh, Syracuse. Guys, w- why do you think the change? And I'll let uh, Sean. I'll, I'll let you take this one first. Why do you think the change between how they looked against Syracuse the first time versus how they looked against them in the, in the Carrier Dome this past week? 
I mean, it goes back to what we talked about last week. You, you can't really, you know, pick on, on how they're going to perform from one game, one game to the next. I mean, I think there has been kind of a theme that usually when we're coming on here Sunday over the weekend, uh, besides the game at Florida State, they've done well on the weekends and we're, you know, happy and optimistic. And then they go during the week, whether it's Syracuse or Marquette um, or somebody else lay an egg everybody's angry for the week and then they come back and perform well over the weekend so you know in terms of Syracuse specifically uh look I, I thought that was a game that they they could have won going into I know once you know they're one point favorites two point favorites so it was pretty much a toss-up but you know I, I thought they had a chance early on where Syracuse was they couldn't hit anything um uh, Syracuse couldn't get in you know at the rim they're giving offensive rebounds. And I think UNC kind of let them off the hook uh, at the beginning of the game. And then when it was a, you know, six point lead or four point lead, felt like it should have been 10 plus already. And all of a sudden you knew Syracuse wasn't going to go cold the whole game. And then when they hit a few, it just flips and, you know, the UNC just couldn't four of 20 from three, you know, some of them, you know, Kerwin Walton, a lot of them were more contested than what he's used to used to yeah. taking. Uh, but there was a, a handful that were that were wide open. Uh, once again, there's a lot of turnovers. Thought that would be a game where the turnovers would be a little lighter, just given the zone and and kind of the lack of upfront pressure, which which didn't happen. Um, so I mean, once again, it was one of those things for a young team that is that is you know once again it was kind of a question: Will they make the tournament up and up until like you know, either the Duke game or really the Florida State game. So it's not a team that is going to be a top five seed that you definitely expect to win one of those games. But at the same time, similar to Marquette, they're able to bounce back and get a big win instead of going 0-2 in, in said week. Sherelle, is there anything to be taken from playing against a good zone like Syracuse? You know, they are a little undermanned this year based on, you know, what you might see for their norm. Is there anything to be taken from this team to see a zone? Because uh, obviously they carried it, they carried it into the game against Duke on Saturday night, and Duke's zone is not in the same league as Syracuse's zone. Is, is there anything that that the Tarheels may have taken from that to help them set help them against Duke? Yeah, I don't really think so. Um, I think it's just a matter of Corbin Walton hit his shots against Duke, and he didn't hit him against Syracuse. It, to me, it's not much. It, it's pretty simple. Um, yeah, when he's making shots, they are good to you know average to very good on offense and when he's not they're bad to average on offense <laughs> it's just he sways them in either direction and that is a ton of pressure to put on a freshman shooter but that's kind of where the team is at I mean you, I'm sure we can go back and look at you know when he makes three three or more threes where the record is but I'd imagine it's pretty high because the, at, I don't mean to like go back to what we were talking about in the preseason, but it's just, it's the same thing. It's like, all they have to do is be like semi-competent <laughs> from three, like just even below average is good enough. They just can't be, you know, as bad as any team in Carolina history. And going into Sunday, they were tied with last year's team at 30.4% is the worst three point shooting team in Carolina history. So to be good, they just have to be a little bit better than bad, if that makes any sense. And um, usually the, that happens when Kerwin Walton, you know, makes two or three threes that just opens everything up. So uh, to me, that's the only thing to take from the Syracuse game is that if Walton is off, I don't know that they can beat good teams. No, I, I think that's, that's a really good distillation of, of this team kind of in a nutshell, if you can, if you can nail them down. And, and like you said, we have talked about that all year is, you know, can this team be competent from the perimeter? And we've talked about it here a bunch, but 
I know Tommy and I brought it up on the show Saturday. I think he mentioned on the postgame pod. But can we just once again talk about what an unknown surprise and what a positive addition, late addition, that Kerwin Walton was to this offense? Because I have no desire to picture mentally what this team would have looked like without his additions offensively uh, to, to the roster. And then after last night, we'll get, go ahead and get into the, the Duke game. After last night, he officially became the, uh, the record holder for best three-point percentage for a UNC freshman, correct? I, I haven't looked that up. I think so. I think I, I, think I saw that floating around okay. on Twitter last night. Okay. I, yeah, I, I didn't pull that out of thin air. I wish I had the, um, <laughs> I wish I had the stat nearby. But, uh, yeah, here we go. Um, Adrian Atkinson, our guy, who, by the way, shout out to him for that rundown he did of the top ten single performances uh, for North Carolina against Duke. Um, I think he was the one that dropped it out last night, but, uh, yeah, Kerwin Walton officially joins the, um, the club of having a uh, freshman that had 50 plus three pointers made in his first year. Um, but then again, somewhere, somewhere on Twitter last night, he did share that, uh, Kerwin was now the, uh, with the minimum, I think of, of 50 makes, uh, leads the leads Tar Heel records of. Three-point percentage. Okay, so I'm really ham-fisted trying to get that out, but you see what I'm trying to say there. So shout-out to Kerwin Walton. Do we, do we want to talk about what this team would have looked like without him, Sean? No. Hard pass. <laughs> Sherelle? No, I mean, if you want to get back into his recruitment, we can kind of go over that quickly as fast as I can. Um, it Three is, seconds, go. Okay, it was a situation where North Carolina wanted additional shooting. They had just signed, or Puff uh, Johnson had just committed. It was kind of, we thought – you know, one or two of them, like first come, first serve kind of deal. And Puff Johnson signs and commits, and we think it's over. We think that Kevin Walton's going to end up at Vanderbilt or Texas or Minnesota or one of those schools. And Roy Williams just kind of, you know, stayed with him uh, through sign the signing period, and Walton didn't sign anywhere else, which was kind of a first clue that he was really interested in North Carolina because all the other schools he could have signed at. Uh, and so it goes on, you know, they're talking to Zaire Williams, who ended up at Stanford. He decides to go elsewhere. Brandon Huffman transfers, opens up a scholarship. Kerwin Walton gets an offer, sets a decision the next day for, I think, like two weeks later. Um, and basically, it was Minnesota and Carolina, what we had been hearing. But because he didn't sign anywhere back in November, you kind of had a good idea that North Carolina was in the lead, and he was just waiting to see if a scholarship was going to open up. So uh, a fortuitous situation for UNC that a scholarship opened up. Um, and that, you know, Roe Williams, that kind of kept up with him and that Zaire Williams actually decided to go a different direction and sign with Stanford. And before we go full board of this Duke game, I do want to uh, send out my condolences to the family of Joey Baker after Kerwin Walton crossed him uh, into the town of Carver last night and then hit a three pointer in his eyes. That was uh, again, if, if Kerwin continues to add these things to his offensive arsenal, he's going to be a fun one to watch for, for two or three more years. All right. Full bore into the Duke game. Um, sure. What? I think Sean had something he wanted to add about Kerwin Walton. <laughs> oh, yes, he does. Sean, oh. I said, I, I'm sorry. I, man, we're all over the place. <laughs> well, I, 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 I passed on the first opportunity. Um, but I, I think, you know, in terms of, of Walton, you know, he, he was an interesting case, low, you know, 90s, 100s um, in, in the rankings. And somebody, you looked at his stats, you know, at the time, Synergy had a lot of the, the Adidas and and Nike AU stats. And, you know, he was in the nine, you know, 98th, 99th percentile for efficiency. Um, so his, his numbers jumped off the chart, which I think we talked about a few times and he knew he was a shooter, 
But I think that's one of those things about just watching highlights and a game here or there versus, you know, watching a lot of his games in person is you just didn't realize how great he was at shooting. Um, I mean, now when you watch him, you expect pretty much every time he lets it fly where he, he has a little bit of time that it's going to go in. I think yesterday was really important, even though Duke didn't really challenge UNC in the game. Um, you know, the threes he hit kind of stopped a few runs, I thought. And then even before, you know, he, he's, he shot 43% in ACC play, but over the going into the Duke game, he was 5 of 24. Obviously, yeah. the, the Syracuse game didn't help. And we, it kind of felt like those three games, he's like, hey, I can hit almost anything. I'm going to look for my shot a little bit more. And with that, some of the shots seemed to be a little bit harder or maybe a little bit quicker, which is why when he, when he did the, the move on Joey Baker, that's not something you expected to see because normally it's the kind of the set shot and he has mm -hmm. his feet under him. And here it was, you know, right off the dribble and it wasn't a step back or a sidestep, something like that. So if he's able to add that. I mean, you know, going forward, that will be a huge addition, but once again, he was a guy that, you know, it was, gr it was a great, great to have on, but, Definitely didn't expect anything like this. He seems so under control when you watch him shoot. I mean, again, you can nitpick his his mechanics if you like to, but even when he goes by somebody, like when he gives a good ball fake and steps in, or actually, you know, takes a couple of dribbles and, and gives it for a closer jumper, he still seems so under control where a lot of times when you see guys that have a really good perimeter shot, they'll get it off quickly and it almost looks rushed. Like, to me, Kerwin is the opposite of that. Sean, do you feel – you feel like it's that way or am I just watching things in slow-mo? No, I mean, and that's why I think the, those three games where he went five of 24, it was, it seemed a little, little off where at times he was being a little rushed, but for the most part, he's got his, he's got his body, he's got his legs under him. He's got his, his feet set. He's ready to shoot. You know, he can give the pump fake and, and either the sidestep or the, the one dribble. Um, so, it, you know, for, for him, he's a, I guess it does go back to some of the AAU stats. He's a very efficient player. And, you know, even just to go a different direction defensively, I know we talked about it last week, but here he is again guarding DJ Stewart a little bit, who was a five-star, you know, top 15, 20 guy. And he's staying with him on the perimeter uh, for the most part. And that was, you know, that was where I thought he was going to get kind of killed um, in terms mm -hmm. of the offensive defensive and, for, you know, there have been times he has, but for the most part, he's been been pretty competent at that level and been able to stay with guys. So, um, you know, definitely a, a surprise. And, yeah, I would not like to see what the percentage of this UNC team would have been with, without him this year. And I want to reiterate, you guys were the ones, and I think it actually may have been Sherelle, so if I'm, but if I'm giving credit to the wrong person, we talked about it here on this, ep on this podcast that he will break every single UNC three-point record based on the trajectory that he got started this year, if he can stay healthy. He's um, got 249 to break Marcus Page's career record. 249 to go. Well, uh, <laughs> it's going to be amazing to see what he's able to do in the offseason. So, Duke game last night. I get a text from Sherrill. Uh, actually, I texted Sherrill first and made a joke about <laughs> <laughs> about Leaky guarding uh, Wendell Moore on the perimeter and just you know all of the what-ifs about uh, past recruiting battles and and those two players. And then Sherrill's response to me was, this was unexpected. And I think the Tar Heels were actually probably up 26 to 6 at that time. Sherrill, you want to elaborate on the unexpectedness of last night's performance from, from both teams? Yeah, I, you know, I hate to do, to be armed, you know, sitting in my seat and be a psychologist. But it just, you know, and I'm not taking away from UNC's win. 
Sure. But Duke just looked lifeless, man. I, I don't think I've ever seen a Duke team under Mike Krzyzewski look that, you know, kind of dead in the water, that, um, you know, uh, the, the lack of competitive spirit that they had. It, was, it seemed yeah. – it just seemed like they weren't into it. They weren't there. Um, and, you know, Carolina's been criticized of that over, over the years for a, a few times, and probably rightfully so. Um, but, you know, that's what Duke – talks about you know the, the passion that they have and um how they play and the energy that they play with and it just i don't know it, it, they would look like zombies out there they looked just like they weren't into the game like they they didn't belong on the same court as north carolina and so that was shocking part number one shocking part number two was just carolina knew it and carolina was basically like you know they they looked at them and said we're we're better than you and we're just going to go ahead and put this away very quickly um so that was surprising to me that dynamic because I thought, you know, Duke had been playing a little bit better over the last, you know, week or two, probably a little overblown how well they had been right, playing, but they right. had been playing better. I mean, they had improved. Um, so, you can't take yeah, that they, away from them. Right. They had improved. And I thought, you know, Matt Hurt has had some really horrendous performances against Carolina. And so you were thinking, okay, this is the time that he's finally going to show up and play really well against UNC. And, you know, like you said, it was 24 to six, it was 11 to two and 24 percent to six before you knew it and the game was over. So that w- was unexpected that Carolina's kind of smelled Duke's fear. And once they smelled it, it was over. Uh, you never see that in, in this sort of rivalry game. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's probably happened a handful of times uh, since, you know, at least as far back as I can remember, but I do think, and I, I heard, uh, I think Tommy and Dewey and, and Brooker talked about it on the post game pod. I don't want to under uh, underplay or downplay what that charge taken by uh, by Walker Miller did to set the tone. I think it very early just it, it got everybody woken up. And if you read some of the players' post-game stuff, um, they seem to kind of get engaged by it too. Sean, do you think that um, do you think this team really got back to defense and let that let that defense turn into their offensive aggression last night? And if so, any chance they could they could continue that? Uh, well, I mean, I, I think at, at the beginning of the game, you know, defensively, they were, they were locked in and you, you know, it's always great to see the seniors start. You always, especially the Duke game, you always worry about a potential slow start, but here it was the opposite where DJ Stewart looked very confident. And, you know, I, he was the one that kind of worried me along with hurt going into the game and, you know, he, he, he drives and they take the charge and, and Brooks hits the jump shot. Um, and they kind of, you know, show that that team belonged in the game. And, and then when the starters came in, they just kind of took it from there. Um, you know, defensively, yeah, I think they also have a, you know, when, when they're playing this Duke team, it, it is basically an AAU team. Um, I mean, you're, you look at their, their starting lineup and you're rolling out four guys from the Nike EYBL plus Matthew Hurt. And the way Adidas. they play is and very AAU-ish too. I mean, like it's a lot of horns. I mean, yep. You know, and a lot of, Horn sets, that was, I think, the highest uh, possession game they'd had. So you're getting up and down. Uh, turnovers are obviously important, but, the, you know, when, when you're getting up and down and the turnovers are a little more more rampant um, at the same time, the defense, especially Duke's defense, you know, Caleb Love, I think, was very confident. He knew he could kind of almost do what, do what he wanted, um, and the big guys could kind of have their way down low as well. So it was one of those games where it was just, hey, you know, we played against each other the last three, four years. I know I can do this uh, versus then you kind of get into, you know, a, like a UVA Clemson type game where, hey, let's keep it in 
60 possessions, let's play physical, et cetera. And it kind of, you know, the, it flips very quickly. So, you know, can they use this for the ACC tournament? Hopefully. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it, they, similar to what we talked about last, last time, they need to be locked in. Uh, Syracuse, they didn't come out locked in. Um, and we saw, we saw what happened even when they, you know, pulled it to, I think, one point in the, early in the second half, and then they just let it go from there. So each game is going to be different. But once again, this is a team that has, has talent, um, but they also have a lot of turnovers, shooting questions, and they need to be mentally focused, you know, for really 40 minutes of each game. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up a couple of those things. I think it's important for folks to remember, too, you know, it's – if they if they don't have those key elements, the shooting, and if they do have the rampant turnovers, you know, then you're right back to the same problems. And we did see some of that last night against Duke, even though they won handily. Uh, Sherell, a guy that was probably given way too many expectations prior to the season, just by default, was Garrison Brooks. And we talked about on here that we did not think he would, you know, obviously win uh, the player of the year, even though he was awarded the preseason player of the year in the conference. What do you think Garrison's legacy is going to be? Because I'll be honest, I I may or may not have giggled like a schoolgirl when he hit that that second three from the top of the key because that that felt as if it was just kind of a a giant middle finger to his rival uh, across the the court from him. But uh, what do you think Garrison's legacy is going to be once once he wraps it up from from his playing days in Chapel Hill? Well, what did you do when he hit the third three? Did you have the same reaction? No, nah, look, man, I thought he was going to hit it. I mean, <laughs> it, it the, the man is feeling it. Let him shoot. Let him shoot. I mean, it's everybody's entitled to a heat check. And if you're a big guy and you get two and that's your career high, then you get to take a third. <laughs> um, as far as legacy, I think it'll be when you look back at the 2017 recruiting class through mostly no fault of their own. I, I think Jaleek Felton was, you know, through a fault of his own. But you look back at that class and – it's going to be regarded as, as one of the um, ones that struggled the most in, in Carolina history. Um, the class of Sterling Manley, Brandon Huffman, Andrew Playtech, Jaleek Felton, and Garrison Brooks. <clears throat> um, the kind of the peak of the NCAA scandal, um, that class that I think was impacted more maybe than any other class. You can talk about 2016 a little bit. Um, they were able to get Tony Bradley out of that class. But um, going back to that, I think that's Brooks's legacy is that you know, he committed uh, to Mississippi State back in October of his senior year. And we all were prepared because that's what everybody had been told for him to commit to UNC. And it changed. And then he got out of his letter of intent and then ended up signing at UNC and turned out to be the best player in that class for UNC. Um, kind of just a, a really dependable person for four seasons. I, I don't think when he signed, we envisioned him starting the better part of four seasons at UNC. And he did. I mean, he started his freshman year until Cam Johnson came back and then he's been a starter ever since. Um, so I think that's kind of his legacy is that he was someone who chose to come to UNC at a time when coming to UNC wasn't very popular. Um, and he kind of fought through um, the, the, all the big men that they had and, you know, Manley and Huffman um, and was sprung into action as a freshman, probably a little too early because of Tony Bradley's departure and then withstood challenges from, Armando Baycott, who was a five-star, Walker Kessler, who was a five-star, and Dayron Sharp, who was a five-star, over the next couple of seasons and, and maintain a starting role. So to me, I see him as just, you know, someone who was a big piece of Carolina basketball, played in a lot of big games, and really um, kind of the guy who, uh, for lack of a better phrase, salvaged the 2017 class. 
And I, I also remember, you know, it, it was tough for he and they were absolutely on a, a very good team. I mean, they, they, when he came in, he still had Luke May and Cam Johnson around him and, and Joel Berry. But, to, you know, to see how much he and Sterling struggled against uh, the size and the grown man strength that Texas A&M had, Texas A&M had in that second round, that's for him to continue to, to grow and, and polish his game throughout his time in Chapel Hill is while he may not have had the wins that I think he or a lot of fans wanted, it definitely is remarkable. The ups and downs that he saw, uh, Sean Sherrill touched on it just for a second about, a, about another guy that was in that class, Sterling Manley. Um, obviously his, his stats per 40 now are, are through the roof and he's like in Wilt Chamberlain territory, but, uh, what did you like about seeing Sterling Manley come in last night and post a highlight in, in less than a minute of action? I mean, it, it was great to see him. I, it took me a second because I didn't, I didn't recognize. I mean, it's been so long. He's yoked. He, he, yeah, he, I mean, it looks just so, so different. And uh, but, it, but it was great to see him get in and do what he did in just that that one minute of action. But I mean, you know, you go back to his freshman year, and I was talking about this earlier with with my friend and you forget like how much time has elapsed since you've, you've really seen him. And I, yeah, I remember being, so this is, um, you know, it was the U8, U18 USA basketball uh, tryout. So this was uh, Cole Anthony and Kobe White's team, Kobe White leading score. He was uh, about to enter UNC um, and Cole Anthony was about to enter his senior year. And I remember uh, an NBA scout saying, Hey, you know, what were your thoughts on, Sterling Manley after his freshman year, because from a per minute perspective and, mm-hmm. you know, looking at Kempom, I mean, it, his rebound rate is his block rate is he fit, like he had some pretty good permanent numbers. Um, and then just, just obviously the, the injuries, um, which, which have been, which have been hard, but I mean, it would be nice to see him, you know, if he is able to get healthy, um, you know, once again, like we mentioned Brandon Huffman, uh, he didn't do it at UNC, but he got to kind of end his college career on a pretty good note. I know he didn't play well in that the last game in the tournament that some people watched, but I think he was top 20 in the country in PER and, you know, killing it in Kempom, et cetera. So it was nice to kind of see Huffman finish off his career on a good note, even if it was in more of a low, low major conference. But getting back to Manly, I think it was just nice to see him on the court, even though he looked, uh, you know, completely different than probably, you know, the last time we had truly seen him get up and down. Uh, Sherelle, do you have any insight as to whether or not Sterling Manley is going to continue to to try to extend his career at UNC? Uh, TBD. TBD. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry yeah. to put you on the spot there. I just, <laughs> I know that last night, you know, I think the, the internets were ablaze last night when uh, he came out to, to be honored with his, his fellow classmates, but he didn't have his senior jersey. So some people are curious. And I just didn't know if, if maybe you knew something we didn't know, but well, there, there are a lot of decisions to be made, obviously. Well, I can tell you this. I talked to his dad uh, today. Um, great guy, great family. And they are just, you know, kind of uh, through the moon. Through I, I might have used the wrong phrase, but they are very excited um, that he was able to do that because they've seen firsthand kind of the hard work. I mean, God, yes. back when, back during the pandemic, when first started, you know, he was home and I think, you know, they just saw a change in him as far as how much he worked out and, and how determined he was to get back on the basketball court, whether it was in practice, whether it was as a reserve or a starter, whatever, he just wanted to play again. And I think people don't realize how close that was to not happening, um, even for one minute against Duke. 
Uh, so they're, they're just, they're thrilled. Um, they're very excited that he's going to have a degree from a prestigious institution um, and that he's got the Carolina network to help him, you know, in the rest, you know, the rest of his life moving forward. Um, so all those advantages that come with being a Carolina basketball player, he's still going to get. Um, it didn't go how he wanted it to go on the court, um, but <clears throat> they're just thrilled with the experience and thrilled, frankly, that Ro Williams stuck with him because there are a lot of coaches who would have, you know, gently encourage them yes. to go elsewhere. And I think they're cognizant of that and they understand that. And, um, you know, uh, just uh, I, I think they've had a good experience despite all the injuries. I tweeted last night and this was an exaggeration. I legitimately got real chill bumps when I saw him get in and have the two plays that he was able to make, because like you said, uh, I don't have the insight that you guys have, but I, I, I do know some things and, and knowing how close he was to shutting it down so many times uh, based on you know, medical advice and just long-term prognosis. Uh, it was really, really refreshing. And I think that that's something that I hope our listeners and viewers can take away from just how pure uh, being a sports fan can be at times is being able to watch a kid like that, go through what he's gone through for the past two years, get out on the court against a rival and have a highlight on both ends in less than a minute. I mean, that's, that's the juice that we all look for when we watch sports anyway. So um yeah, I'm glad you mentioned. Well, your, what, what, one thing real, real quick, when, when Sherelle was, Sherelle was talking, I was, I was looking at his stats and freshman year, he had a 7% block rate, which would have put him number six in the ACC this year. But with his two games and basically minute, it had him at 100, 109%. Yeah, his points per 40 and, and prevented, like I, I saw that stat and it was, Obviously, it was a joke and it was it was hyperbole, but it was really hilarious to read. Um, who who else can say who else can say they did not miss a single shot in a regular season yes. for an entire season? Sterling Manley did not miss a shot. Shot 100 percent for the year. Uh, you know, ha had averaging a block per minute. I mean, that's again, that's that's like yeah. Kareem, Wilt, Bill <laughs> Russell all rolled up into one. Right. I, I will confess personally i would love to see him come back and i would love to see if if the health allowed for him to play because i just want to make comments on our group chat about how yoked he is every time a game starts because uh, much respect to that man for what he's been able to put in to get his body into the shape that it's in because it's it's freakish right now i think he has a future in sports entertainment if he wanted uh, absolutely uh, <laughs> don't see a lot of guys with that frame that's that's done what he's been able to do while rehabbing from injury all right, guys, I'll give you each one shot to take a take a stab at, at the Duke game from last night before we uh, before we kick off into some or kick off not kick off. This is a different sport uh, before we head off into some ACC tournament quick preview and, and put a bow on it for tonight. Sean, anything else you want to mention from from last night's big win against uh, against Duke? Um, you know, I, I think for we'll talk about Caleb Love for a second. I know everybody kind of talked about his two games against Duke and. I think on the year he's only had three or four games where his offensive rating has been over a hundred and two of those have come against Duke. So obviously there's a familiarity. He still had some, you know, more turnovers than you would like. Um, I think maybe one or two might not have been his direct fault, but at the same time you felt, you know, when Duke's pressing, you felt comfortable with the ball in his hands. Um, and I, you know, I think the three point shooting has, you know, has been a nightmare in general, but, uh, you know, he, he was able to hit some early on and I, I think he's been able to get the confidence. He has the range. It's just, you know, can he, can he knock him down? And I, I think, you know, once again, who knows what happens with next year, but, you know, I, I, despite the frustrations and despite the turnovers, you know, Syracuse, et cetera, I still think he's, 
he's been uh, been trending up. And then, you know, it was nice to see Armando. I thought Armando had a, a really strong game offensively. And, and for the most part, he's been one of the steady, steady players uh, really throughout the season that, you know, hasn't, hasn't got talked about as much, but he's been, you know, he's kind of made that freshman to sophomore year leap that everybody was, was hoping for. And he's been, been very strong, but overall, you know, it was not expecting uh, that 26 to six opening. Um, and the fact that even though there are runs made, it never really got under double digits because even when UNC was struggling or turning the ball over, here's Kerwin with a big three, or here's Kessler with a hook, um, you know, here's a block shot. So, you know, it, it was fun to see and everybody for the most part got playing time and, and made an impact. Yeah. Armando has been really nice when he's gotten uh, regular involvement early in games and has not had to worry about foul trouble. I'm with you on that. And Shrill, yeah. you know, I, I know you probably feel a little bit like Sean does. Do, do we need to just lie to Caleb Love for the rest of <laughs> rest of the season and tell him that he's playing Duke every night? I, it's so funny you said that. Yeah, that's exactly what needs to happen. They need to like just pretend like Photoshop blue onto whoever they're playing in the scouting report. Give him a different him, scouting report. Make him think it's Jeremy Roach every single time, and he's going to go out there and have eighteen. Uh, so just pretend that. Um, my my things are I, I want to see more Walker Kessler. Um, I know he's not playing a ton of minutes uh, right now, but I think just the impact he has offensively and defensively just because of that wingspan mm -hmm. is huge for North Carolina. And I, I just want to see him get more minutes right now. He's played 20% or right at 20% of UNC's available minutes this year. And Dayron Sharp has played, I think 48% of the available minutes. So he's able to rank in Kim Palm stats. Dayron Sharp is number one in the country with an 18.7% offensive rebound rate. Walker Kessler's is 19.1. So if Walker Kessler, you know, was able, had the amount of minutes to qualify, he would be, you know, one of, if not the number one offensive rebounder in the country. Dayron Sharp would, is already number one. And then Armando Baycott is top 40. Um, so there's those four guys on the boards, man. They're, they're playing really, really well. Obviously, North Carolina's missed a lot of shots, so there's more offensive rebounds. But <laughs> still, I mean, those guys have an impact. And I, I just want Kessler. I, I need to see more of, more of him on the court because I think he's such a positive for the team, you know, uh, has been over this five or six game stretch and will be moving forward. He does so many good things. I mean, you saw last night Caleb Love had an amazing wraparound pass uh, to Dayron for a bunny. Dayron missed it, and Kessler's there, you know, trailing to clean it up for a dunk you mentioned the sean mentioned the little baby hook earlier i mean just he's got a lot in his bag and i'm with you the more exposure he gets uh, i think he's going to absolutely become a force all right let's take a quick look at what wednesday may bring or not bring we're not going to try to to get a gauge on what the tar heels are going to bring out but it looks like they'll either be playing as a six seed they'll either be playing uh, notre dame or wake forest uh who they've beaten both the earlier this season uh, we talked about it before we start. We signed on today. Shrill, the two things I think this this team needs to avoid for postseason play, whether it be ACC tournament or NCAA tournament, they need to avoid teams that play competent defense, and they need to avoid teams with uh, experienced guard play. Because we uh, experienced guard play outside of this year is always going to carry somebody. But what does what does Carolina need to to not see? Or what do they need to guarantee for themselves to have some luck, whether it's this week in the ACC tournament or, or in the future? Stop turning the ball over. I mean, to me, it's that simple. Um, if they could cut their turnovers, not, it won't have to be in half. 
you know, because it's a young team and they do want to play up tempo. So there's going to be situations, there's going to be more possessions if they're playing the way they like, which would result in more turnovers. But if they can get to 14 a game, something like that, 13, 14, just think about that's at least six more shots properly. Extra possessions, yep. Uh, extra possessions. And then who knows, um, you know, with the offensive rebound so well, maybe those – those if say you're going from 20 to 14, right? So that's six extra shots, and then they get uh, offensive rebounds on three of those possessions and get another shot. That's nine extra shots just from cutting down those turnovers. It's almost like a ball when uh, I think it was Bill Parcells or Bill Belichick was like, as long as the possession ends in some kind of kick, a we're kick. good. Yeah. So the same thing, as long as it ends in a shot, just any shot, I don't care what shot it is, <laughs> as long as Carolina's possession's in a shot, I think they have a, an excellent chance of, of making some noise in the ACC tournament and in the NCAA tournament. And I will just go ahead and let Joey splice in here. I'm, I'm changing my, my situation now. Uh, so if they lose in the first round, that never happened. I never said any of that. <laughs> I was never positive. Right. Uh, but you know, I, I really do believe that if they can just cut down on the turnovers, I mean, they've shown the ability to play uh, against good teams, but they've also shown the ability to lose the bad teams. So cut down on the turnovers and just get more shots up. And I, I think they have a chance to make noise. I really do. It's funny. I think a lot of that is, you know, this team has shown the propensity to be good. We know there's talent there in different spots. Uh, we know that they have the ability to shoot on occasion. All those things you just mentioned mathematically about cutting down the turnovers. I mean, you're adding between, you know, eight and 10 points a game. Uh, just based on what their field goal shooting percentages of about 40 with nine extra shots. But uh, Sean, I, I'm going to give Sean a chance to, to shoot it down. I still say nobody else in America, aside from the aside from Gonzaga, uh, Baylor, Michigan, are any good. So why not North Carolina? Why could North Carolina not catch a decent draw, uh, You know, catch one of those uh, sub two seeds, string two games together uh, why not sean tell me why i'm why i'm stupid and probably huffing meth right now <laughs> well if we're if we're going to jump ahead to to seeding i think if they get a you know who knows what's going to happen if they get an eight nine matchup you know they're that's probably not making it out of yeah, that, that's that that first weekend right because i think there are you know your gonzaga your baylor your michigan illinois you know for the most part those are Two really good teams and then two teams, you know, I think then the big 10 teams who are still pretty good, but a notch, notch below. If you get on that, the two seed, I mean, then, you know, you're talking Houston, Alabama. I mean, all those teams are, are very beatable by anybody. So obviously there's a gap, but I think there could be a big difference between a, if they're a, kind of in that seven ten game versus eight, nine game um, that, 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 you know, once again, they could easily lose in the first round of the ACC tournament, first round of the NCAA tournament, and the season's over. But at the same time, you always want to have some, you know, a little little hope. And I think there is there is could be some in potential 7-10 matchup uh, because, once again, offensive, you know, offensive rebounding is what differentiates them. Uh, they've had teams that have cut that off, and they've struggled. Actually, Duke, I thought, did a very well, good job in the second half. It just didn't matter because UNC was making shots. But they have – you know, that's, that's, that's their, uh, you know, carrying card for the year is offensive rebounding. Uh, they have size and they do have individual talent, so they can match up with pretty much, I think anybody, but once again, we've, we've seen, um, you know, how that has gone some, you know, whether it's Marquette or, or other teams, but I'm not going to shoot you down. Uh, but I, I do think 
you know, next Sunday is going to be important in terms of, is it a, a one game or, or could there be a, a second weekend in the cards? Well, and that's, uh, I think everything you just laid out is probably safe. We strongly advise against folks who listen to or view this podcast, uh, placing any stock in this Tar Heel team whatsoever. <laughs> just be happy if they're able to win. Uh, you know, be sad if they lose, if you'd like to. But uh, just know that they have the chance to do anything under the sun anytime the ball is tipped. All right, guys, last chance. Anything before we get out of here? Sean, you got two pennies tonight? I mean, ACC tournament, you always look to the right almost. So you'd see, you see that Virginia potential Virginia tech matchup. And I think every, you know, everybody's eyes kind of get real wide on that one, you know, Virginia tech, I think has overachieved, but of all the teams and in, in that top four, they're the ones you want to see. They've overachieved uh, by not playing. Again. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I mean, they beat, they beat a Villanova team, so I'm not going to completely hate on them, but I think uh, Virginia it's a team you would like to see. But then you got to look to the left, and I, I did kind of have a little bit of a shudder when I saw Notre Dame. Uh, they just had the big win against Florida State. They had struggled before that. Uh, but once again, that came down to a missed, you know, 12-footer from Notre uh, – pretty much a wide-open 12-footer um, from Jawan Durham in Chapel Hill. And Notre Dame shoots the ball extremely well, um, three-point, two-point, et cetera, and they have some talent. So – that's a game that I think could be a little uh, a little scary if, if Notre Dame does beat Wake. But once again, if UNC can win that first game, I do like their chances against Virginia Tech. Yeah, we'll be neat to see. Sherelle, anything before we, uh, before we, push, before we put a, a bow on this and ship it out by UPS? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think if you're a Carolina fan, you're rooting for Wake Forest. Uh, they play – a style more favorable to what UNC likes. I think the first game was over 70 possessions. The first game against Notre Dame was in the 60s, maybe mm -hmm. low 60s. I can't exactly remember. Um, and like Sean said, a three-point shooting team, Nate Leszewski, uh, you know, he destroyed Carolina that first <laughs> oh, game. Yes. Um, and then Prentice Hub can get really hot. Uh, Trey Wirtz can be a good shooter. I mean, just a team who takes a lot of threes and – uh, relies on dribble penetration is not a, a good matchup for UNC. So if you're a Carolina fan, you're hoping for a Forest to win. That's number one. And then number two, I think it's patently ridiculous. If, if I can use my Stephen A voice, that Virginia Tech is still number three seed despite missing <laughs> so many games. I yeah. mean, I think the ACC, hopefully there's never a pandemic ever again like this, but they need to have some kind of contingency plan that uh, reseeds or, or does whatever it needs to do because it, I don't know. You missed that many games. I just don't think you should be rewarded into a double buy for a variety of reasons. Um, so, uh, you know, I know we're objective on here, but I hope whomever, and I hope it's Carolina, but I hope whomever plays Virginia Tech uh, beat them pretty well because it's just, I think it's really, really unfair how that played out that Virginia Tech is kind of protected by not playing. That'll teach them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, man. I, I had I had a lot of beef about Ohio State getting gifted the um the consideration that they were given due to only playing six games this year i was the same way with most of the big 10 in football but uh yeah i'm kind of with you with virginia tech you know I, I don't wish ill on them and i'm i'm glad that they're healthy if they are healthy but yeah they definitely caught some uh caught some breaks and who they played and who they avoided playing this year so i don't know we'll see i mean you get a chance to tip the ball against them if, if north carolina can beat either wake forest or notre dame they'll get a chance to to prove it i guess and as always, you guys have proven yourselves worthy compatriots on this here episode of Coast to Coast Podcast. We appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate everybody viewing. Again, take a second. Rate, review, 
subscribe, all of it. We appreciate it. Inside Carolina appreciates it. Uh, we also appreciate johnnytshirt.com for sponsoring. I appreciate you guys, Sherelle, Sean. Thank you guys for joining me. Hey, we'll do it again next week, and who knows? We'll probably have an ACC champion. Who knows who that'll be? Uh, and we should have some idea of what the postseason field of 68 should look like. So I hope you guys will stick around and join us next week. But for this episode of the Coast to Coast Podcast, I'm Joey Powell for Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran. We'll catch you guys down the road. Bye. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.